So let's pray for a second before we uh, come to the Bible and uh, really read that and uh, continue looking through the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is the word. He is the word made flesh. Father, that he is the very expression of the Father. And Father, because we have come into that family and we are part of his body, we too are the expression of the Father. We are your expression here on earth. And Father, we pray that our lives would reflect who you are. Father, we pray that you would continue to change us. Father, that you would allow us to be transformed through the renewing of our minds. Father, that we might be new people. Father, your word says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so, Father, we pray, help us to put on the new and to leave the old behind. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, I was just going to do a quick recap, um, but before I do that, I had a picture which I came across. I was going to put up on the screen. How apt. Why is it that nobody likes to sit in the front row? Right? <laughs> I do put on deodorant first thing in the morning, so if you, you don't need to worry about being too close to me. I shower every day. Uh, there's room in the front, uh, and can I encourage you, if you sit at the back, to work your way down and leave room for our guests at the back, because when people come in late, it's really handy if they've got somewhere to sit. And I'll tell you why. I experienced this uh, Oh, years and years and years ago, uh, we were actually on holiday from church. Uh, I, I was on staff then, but I was on holiday. And we came down to church for the service, not needing to do anything. And for some reason, we were running a bit late. And I was coming in at the back, and everybody was standing up. Hands were up. People were worshiping. And I came in at the back, and I went, oh, my goodness. I work here, and I, I don't even know where to sit. I, I, I don't want to be embarrassed about going down and sitting in the front. And that's me, and I work here, so I get it. So, can I encourage you to just shuffle a wee bit down, okay? In Treasure Kids, we say, do a wee bum shuffle, okay? Do a wee seat shuffle further down, and that just leaves room for uh, guests at the back. Um, so, today, uh, I'm just going to do a quick recap in Ephesians. Um, we thought first about the author, the audience, and the atmosphere. Um, we began this series by looking at Ephesians as a whole, uh, dipping into the book of Acts, chapter 19 as well, and we looked at who wrote the book. It was Paul. We looked at the audience, which was uh, the Ephesians, but we thought maybe this is to be uh, a bit wider. Certainly, we're benefiting from it today. And also the atmosphere of the times. The, the times that these people lived in were really difficult times, and uh, you might remember that I kind of got a wee bit carried away on that message. I really felt that the Holy Spirit uh, got hold of me, and uh, that was a bit scary, I have to say. I had nightmares about it afterwards. Um, but I really feel the Holy Spirit was stirring us up, and the thrust was, it's time to stop talking and to start doing. And then the following week, we thought about our possessions in Christ. We began to look at who we are, and that God has blessed us in Christ beyond measure. And as one commentary put it, in word and thought we bless God, as we've been doing this morning, because in deed and in positive effect, He blesses us day by day by day. Keva, that was incredible this morning. Just to be thankful that God has woken us up this morning and He has blessed us. Before we've even arrived in church, we're blessed. Incredible. So thank you for that encouragement this morning. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we realize that we begin to take on the characteristics of God Himself. Then we thought about our position in Christ, how we're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. We're called out to be a holy people, and our position in Christ is because of His grace. 
and it's nothing to do with us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's not about how gifted we are, although we might like to think we are. And we thought about how we're born into this world, and 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the first Adam, as in Adam and Eve Adam, and how we're born in the same way, and we're born into this world, and we're born into sin, and we're born into weakness. But that passage talks about Jesus as being the second Adam, this Savior who's come to bring us into newness of life, into this new position as uh, His sons and daughters. And uh, as one commentator once, uh, uh, one commentator put it in brief, God says in chapters 1 to 3, I have made you a saint. That's what He's saying. I have made you a saint. We need to realize who we are in Christ. We need to realize that our identity is wrapped up in Him, not in our spouse, not in our family, not in our job and the things that can define us as people. Our identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is. So in chapters 1 to 3, he says, I've made you a saint. In chapters 4 to 6, he says, now live a saintly life. And here's how to do it. And so today, we're going to consider just a little bit about what it means to live as a Christian. And so the title today, uh, I've kind of fallen short. I'm probably going to just jettison this presentation, Nathan, because uh, I feel it's holding me back today. Uh, not unless you can keep up with what I'm saying. It's all in there, so feel free uh, to have a go. Um, being a faithful Christian is about walking the walk, and it's about talking the talk. Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In the King James Version, it says, walk worthy of the calling. Living as a, a Christian uh, is easier said than done. And uh, someone said, I finally got my head together, and now my body's falling apart. <laughs> so I hope it doesn't take that long, because it's like, have you ever think, thought that for yourself? It's like, I'm trying to work out this living as a Christian thing, and it's like, now that I'm starting to kind of get some idea of what it's about, the rest of me is falling to bits. Well, it's not actually true, but can feel like that sometimes. Uh, somebody also said it's easier to get older than it is to get wiser. As my dad used to say, brains isn't wisdom, and that kind of stuck with me. Uh, you see, walking the walk is about how we live our lives. Talking the talk is exactly that, our words reflecting the grace that we have received in Christ. And some people talk a good game, but they're not walking the Christian life as they should. Some people appear to be walking the walk, but the words that they say betray underlying issues of the heart that remain unresolved. And we're going to think a wee bit about that today. I'm going to read from Scripture. So Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to read from now. If you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read from the New International Version. And the title at chapter 4 is Unity in the Body of Christ. We're going to go through that into Living as Children of Light, then go into chapter 5, and we're going to end just before it starts to get on uh, the, the subject of husbands and wives. Quite a long passage of Scripture that we're going to read, but I feel it's good to read Scripture. We need to understand the context of what we're reading. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, because Paul wrote this when he was in prison, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Listen to this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Words made famous by a certain comedian, female, who's very tall. What's her name again? Miranda, that's right. Bear with, okay, bear with one another in love. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called uh, to one hope uh, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's an important part of what we're reading today. God has poured out His grace into our lives, but He's poured it in in different measure. Captives in His train and gave what it says. When uh, He ascended on high, He led captives in His train and gave (coughs) gifts to men. What does He ascended mean except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. The Bible tells us that Jesus not only descended to the earth at what we celebrate at Christmas time as the incarnation, the miraculous birth of Jesus, it tells us that when He died, He descended into the lower regions. You know, He actually spoke to people who had died. And it tells us that when Jesus rose again, that there were people who were resurrected, people who came back to life uh, in the very tombs that they were in. Incredible. And so Jesus, it says, tells us they went and spoke to those who died in the flood. Incredible. And it was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare, prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's one of the key thoughts for me in this passage, is that we have to come to a place of maturity. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the boss, and we are the people who do what He says. From Him, the whole body, that's us, Christians, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Then it goes on to uh, subdivide this passage into living as children of light. In my Bible, it does anyway. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. This isn't an optional extra. He's saying, I tell you this, and you need to put this into practice. This isn't plan B. This isn't option two. This is plan A, option one, do it, or you'll be in trouble. Okay? So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Gentiles are people who aren't Jews, us before uh, we were saved. Uh, In the futility of their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of, of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self 
which has been corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. I have never heard a message preached on that verse before. Maybe we'll do that someday. The importance of doing something useful so that we can contribute to others. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, God's holy people, nor or of greed, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk in wine. This is why the church talks about things like this and has done over the years. Don't get drunk which leads to debauchery. We need to look that word up in the dictionary. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. If we want to know how to live as a Christian, we don't need to go off to seek God on a retreat and wait to hear what He wants to say to us. It's all written down for us already. It's already here. It's a case of 
taking what we're reading and meditating on that and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to say, this is where I'm putting my finger right now. See on that little bit you just read, and you know when God's finger's on you, you go, I need to do something about that. I need to sort that out. I need to confess before Him, and I need to get this right. And there are two areas that I see uh, that I wanted to focus on. Why is there a wasp at this time of year? Why? Oh, wasp away. (laughs) I might need that in a second. There are two things that I see as I read this. The first one is unity in the body, which leads to maturity. And the second is life in the body with a particular focus on our words, the things that we say. I know Sam's preached on this a few weeks back, uh, but when we look at this passage, it's like a thread that runs throughout what we've just read, the things which we say, the words which we use. Let's think briefly about unity in the body first. I say briefly, that's to give you hope. (laughs) Can I just tell you there's nothing brief about my notes today? That's why I asked Nathan to switch off the presentation, because I'm like, let's just see where, where God wants to take us today. As part of one body, the church is the visible expression of God in the world. And we're exhorted to keep, uh, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And as I read in a devotional this week, peace is the manifestation of a surrendered heart. Let me read that again. Peace is the manifestation of a surrendered heart. If you are at peace as a person, regardless of the storm that you're in just now, it's because you have surrendered it to God and you've said, this is beyond me. I don't understand this. I don't know what's happening in my life just now. But when you surrender it to God, then that peace which the Bible talks about as passing every understanding, is beyond what we can understand, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Incredible. But we need to surrender to Him. And we're encouraged to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me just say something. When it comes to unity in the church, we, when we are at peace with each other, we will experience what God is talking about here. When we have surrendered the thing to God, then we experience His peace, regardless of what that is. It's a principle that's here in Scripture. And when we're fully surrendered to God at the level of the heart, that is where we find peace. Even though we can't see the outcome in a situation, that is where we find peace. It sounds easy, but the reality is that we have an enemy who's out to destroy all that is of God and all that is good in this world, including the church. Our enemy, the devil, wants to destroy your faith. He wants to shipwreck your faith. He wants to rob you of the peace which God has for you. He wants to take it away, and he wants to instead throw you into confusion And we read in that passage there, to to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You see, it's given to us. It's not something we need to work for. We do need to seek God. We need to pray to God. And when we do that, He gives us the things that we need. And it's given for a purpose. 
not simply to use the things that God gives us for ourselves, but to see that the body is built up. And that's different for each of us. And the ultimate goal is that we come to a place of maturity in our faith, that you as an individual come to a place of maturity in your Christian faith, and in so doing, we as a church, the local expression of what God is doing, come to maturity. My prayer for this church is that we come to that place of maturity, that we're able to stand and stand in the gap for the things that we see happening round about us. Does anyone in here feel that the devil has been trying to rock your faith and rob your peace this week? Anybody else? Let me just stick my hand up, okay? I'll stick my hand up as well, right? A number of people for whom the devil has been trying to rob you of your peace, has been trying to infiltrate your faith and upset your Christian life. I'm going to pray right now for each of us who've experienced that this week. See, because when we pray about things, God hears those prayers and He answers those prayers. And Father, we, we recognize that the enemy wants to get in to steal and kill and destroy. Father, that You have come to bring us into that place of life, an abundant life, a full life. And Father, where the enemy has tried to rob us this week, Father, we surrender that to You, and we allow You to come into the situation in our life. And Father, in this moment, receive that peace which surpasses understanding. Father, may it guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us understanding in what has happened this week. Help us to see what is going on and to recognize it for what it is. Father, help us ever to be coming before you and to recognize who you are. And Father, to invite you into every situation. Father, just as Jesus was in the boat when the storm began to rage, Father, we recognize that you are with us. Help us to be surrendered to you and to trust in you and to have our faith firmly placed in you for Jesus' sake and in his name and for your glory. Amen. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has placed people in the church for a reason. It says that Christ has appointed leadership in the church. And in verse 11, read the original Greek, there are either different types of leader. And depending on how you read the original Greek, there are either four or five separate people. But there are definitely five different areas of ministry. The first one is apostles, which are, and I robbed this from the amplified version of the Bible, special messengers or representatives of God. There are people in our lives as a church who have that ministry, who are sometimes special messengers or God's representatives who come to speak to us. There are prophets, people who bring that new message from God. And when somebody brings a word of prophecy, it never contradicts God's Word. It never contradicts what God is already saying to you. It comes and it brings that strength and that revelation to us. 
Thirdly, there are evangelists, people who share the good, the good news. They could be missionaries, and missionaries isn't somebody necessarily who goes to another country and does cross-cultural mission. You don't even need to go to another country to do cross-cultural mission. You can do that down the main street, okay? You know what I'm talking about. Fourthly, the pastors, which the Bible talks about as being shepherds, and fifth, teachers, people who instruct and there's a debate as to whether pastor and teacher are one and the same role or two distinct roles. And it depends on how we read the Greek. Lindsay, do you know how you interpret this? You've studied theology. <laughs> yeah? Not off the top of your head. Um, I have not studied Greek, so I'm dependent on other people. And uh, just let me get technical for a little second because there are some people who will be interested in this. Um, and there is a rule which I came across through reading one of the commentaries called Granville Sharp's Rule, which has been translated, uh, sorry, which has been restated, uh, including restrictions that apply to that. And it states this, and you can switch off for a minute if you're not interested. Have a wee rest, okay? In native Greek constructions, when a single article modifies two substantives connected by the Greek word kai, when both substantives are one singular, two personal, and three uh, common nouns, they have the same referent. No. <laughs> what is it they say? Listen carefully. I shall say this only once. Okay. What it's saying is that, and, and this is an unusual passage, just because of the way, even in, no matter what translation you read it in, in the Bible, it's, it's, it's an unusual way to put a list of people. And uh, I liked what one of the, the commentaries said, um, and I'm not going to go into all this. This rule is important, by the way. If you read Titus 2, 13, I'll tell you why it's important. Uh, Titus 2.13 in the King James Version says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And we can read that as God and our Savior Jesus Christ being two separate people. Okay? So that Jesus doesn't necessarily need to be God according to this passage. So we apply this rule here. And it says in the NIV, which is a better translation, and the same in the New King James, it says, Christ, namely, Jesus, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, namely, Jesus is both God and Savior. And so these things are important. And if you're wondering why that's important, what does the Bible say about testing the spirits? And this was my dad's advice to me. If you want to know where somebody stands, if you want to know where another organization, denomination stands, ask them where they put Jesus. Where does Jesus fit into all? Is Jesus God? And is He the Son? Is He part of the Trinity? Yes, He is. And if we put Jesus in His proper place, then we know where we are. There are some organizations which don't put Jesus in that place. They claim to be followers of Jesus, but they don't believe in the deity of Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is God. And that's why things like this are important, because when somebody chaps on our door and they start talking about the fact that Jesus isn't God, we can say, actually, let me show you a scripture in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. 
And I'll quote Granville Sharp's rule to you so that you know how to apply that. And they'll go, huh? <laughs> we need to understand these things. But let me read the thing which I found really helpful. And it says, the absence of the article before the word teacher, uh, which follows that phrase, shows that the pastors and teachers form a single group, obviously because they both minister to the individual congregation. The bottom line is that in this church, we need pastors, we need teachers, we need the apostle, we need the prophet, and we need the evangelist. We need all of these gifts flowing in the church, and they are Christ's gifts to the church. In 1 Corinthians, we read about the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us, that's what we saw in operation this morning. The gift of tongues being given to bet. The translation, the, not the translation, the interpretation of that tongue, which God gave to me. How did that happen? You know, I ask people, how does God speak to you? How do you actually hear? How do you know it's God? When you started to speak bet, that word, and I forgot what it was, I have a, the Holy Spirit needed to bring that back to my mind about release, it was just that word which is like, poof, present. And you, and you just hear what God is saying. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church, but Christ has given leadership gifts to the church, and we need to understand that. If you are considering what it means to be a leader, let me tell you that there are two things which are important for leaders in the church, for the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The first one is their character, and the second one is their calling. Character and calling are more important than how gifted you are. They're more important than how talented you are. They're more important than how charismatic you are. Thank you, Lord, for that, because I am not a charismatic person. And it's more important than raw leadership ability. There are people who use raw talent, gifting, leadership ability to create massive businesses, and we probably all, or many people use Facebook. How, how incredible. Gifted, talented, charismatic, has raw leadership ability, but it's not in the church because he's not called to be a leader in the church. I wish he was. We might get some useful little things in Facebook for spreading the gospel. Well, maybe not. But character and calling are so important in the church. And for me, some of the key, key areas of character and leaders are, one, are we teachable? Are we still in the process of being uh, able to be taught, learning the things of God? When somebody stands here and claims to have the full picture, they're not telling you the truth, okay? When anybody says, this is it, and I've got the secret, come and hear the secret. Nonsense. Teachability, humility, gentleness, patience, servanthood, and consistency between your private life and your public life. If you want to be a leader in the church, your private life needs to be the same 
as your public life? Or should I say your public life needs to be the same as your private life? And this is where it gets challenging for everybody, for you and for me, is because the devil wants to get in and trip us up in our private life. And then he wants to pick up the big cakes of mud and just go like that and launch them at us. But it's such an important area. And uh, it, it can be really challenging, this stuff as well, for leaders. You see, without a calling, people will fall away from leadership due to the pressures that are imposed, particularly, I think, in church leadership because it's a spiritual battle as well. I received an email this week from an old friend. I'd, uh, I'd sent him an email uh, and was just waiting on a reply. And he told me that for the last couple of years, he's been pastoring what he called a damaged church. Things had went on in the life of the church that had caused it to become damaged. And he was sent in to try and help this church to get back on its feet. And what he said was, ministry is not for the faint-hearted. Ministry is not for the faint-hearted. If you want to be a leader in the church, you need to realize that ministry is not for the faint-hearted. If God calls you into ministry, it's because your character is right and He sees something that He wants to release in you. And ministry has a cost. If you want to serve God, and I'm not talking about necessarily the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I'm talking about when we just are a Christian and we don't necessarily have a position of leadership in any way. We don't need to have a position to be a leader. We don't need to have a position to have influence in the circle that surrounds us. And what's the purpose of all this? You see, the purpose of leadership in the church is to prepare God's people. There are various words that are used depending on which translation you look at. The authorized talks about perfecting, uh, edifying, preparing, equipping, training, and all the different uh, versions that, that we read. And it's all so that we can become soul and light and that we can become the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. From the moment we walk out the door, and sometimes it's before we even do that, to be able to reach the lost that the church might be built up in order that the church who is here might be built up. The church is to grow numerically and spiritually. And if the church isn't grown numerically and spiritually, then there's something that we need to address. The Bible talks in Ephesians 12, why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Key, th key things in this, works of service. We all have a job to do, that the body's built up. We should be growing as individuals and as a church corporately, we should be growing until we reach unity in the faith. What was it that said? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And we looked at that whole subject of unity through May and part of June as well. Growing in our knowledge of Christ. And for me, that's, I think that's what Paul says, that I might know him. We just, we want to know him. 
One of the things that just gets me is how you can be sitting in your devotional and God just reveals something to you and you begin to understand something more of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. I just, I just think it's fantastic that God does that. And God's purpose is to fill this whole earth. So the first thing was unity in the body. The second thing, and time is marching on, is life in the body. And uh, it says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to take off the old self and leave it behind. That's what baptism symbolizes. We have to be renewed on the inside. The Bible talks about being transformed through the renewing of our minds, which is why, and I think, daily devotionals are important because we need to hear from God every day. And in that process, God is renewing our minds, and we have to put on the new self, which has been created to be like Christ in true righteousness and in holiness. And so, life in the body, and I said this, there's a number of things that I, I saw as I was kind of reading through this, um, where our words are so important. The passage has a lot to say about words, and it's like I said earlier, a thread that weaves through the whole passage. You see, words are the overspill of what's going on in our heart. The Bible says that the church is God's representation here on earth. When we go out into the community, what do people see? Do they just see an ordinary human being, or do they see somebody who is an ambassador for Jesus? When you see an ambassador, they have a big fancy car coming along with flags on it, and they have somebody to open the door for them. And if they're really important, they'll have their own private security and all this kind of stuff. We're not that kind of ambassador. We are Joe Bloggs. Who is that guy? I don't know who that guy is, but he just did something really nice. And actually... That makes me think, maybe, maybe God is who He says He is. Maybe God is real. And it's an expression of the Father's heart, the Father heart of God, which wants to express itself into this world so that people would be attracted to Jesus and that the church would be built up numerically and spiritually. Maybe to you today, uh, well, I'll, I'll pass that. There are words which are positive in this passage of Scripture. Positively, we're encouraged to, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, speak the truth in love. That's a positive thing. So that, well, the context of this is like a leaf been blown around in the wind. Speak the truth in love. We need to hear words that are true, but they're around the church, and some of them aren't true. And as you start to read the background in the New Testament, you go, man, that's crazy. How, do, how could they ever have believed that? And then you realize that people believe some pretty weird things today. You see, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak it in love. And speaking the truth in love demands high relational currency. 
What do I mean by that? It means that I can't just come up to you, David, and say, by the way, see that thing that you said or did? We need to have a chat about that. And I'm going to be the big bad guy and give you a row for it. Sorry to embarrass you, David. You're just back for a visit. <laughs> we can't just launch in somebody and give them the big download and say, by the way, you need to get this sorted out. That's not how this works. This works because God has put a heart of love in us and there's a relationship between us that allows us to say, by the way, I think you should have a wee look at such and such. Sometimes if we've not invested in the relationship, if we don't have that relational currency, then we don't have the opportunity or maybe even the right to speak into somebody's lives, somebody's life. That relationship, renewing of our minds, the fact that character brings trust, the things that we're saying, that renewing of our minds, the fact that God is doing something in us, gives us the ability to speak into somebody else's life. We're also told in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 25, to speak truthfully to those who are around us, to our neighbor. There's a negative side to this as well. These are the positive things, the negative side, and it runs throughout this passage like a thread. Chapter 3, verse 25, talks about putting off falsehood, deception, and lies. Verse 29, refraining from unwholesome talk. Verse 31, refraining from slander. Chapter 4, verse 4, refraining from obscenity, refraining from foolish talk, and refraining from coarse joking. That was always a, not telling the coarse jokes, but listening to the coarse jokes. When I was in Mitsubishi, I was like, I, I don't know why I listen to that joke. It's, it's quite challenging, isn't it? Tim, I don't know if you remember back in the days uh, before we were married, and you were married at the time, and we went to a group called The Gap. This is one of the passages that we, uh, we kind of kept coming and enlightened to, and, and the whole thing about no coarse joking, and it became a bit of a thing, remember that? <laughs> no coarse joking. Not that we were coarse joking, by the way, just to clarify. But the point is that the things which come out of our mouths are a reflection of what's happening in our hearts and who we are as a person, the core of our being, and what comes out as an expression of that. And when we get focused on this negative stuff, we need to understand that there are two things which happen when we do this. The first one, and we read it in the passage, is that we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. The Holy Spirit is pictured as a dove. Have you ever saw a dove sitting on a tree and then you go out to get a closer look and it just goes, it's away. Not that I think the Holy Spirit disappears on us, but there's something about that picture and about the Holy Spirit being able to be grieved that gives us an idea of what God is like. Grief, and uh, if you think about this, you're an emotion. And uh, if you think about this, do you know what a seismograph is? A seismograph is that thing which moves up and down, we, we hands, and they create a wee chart on a page, and it measures, it measures the movement in the earth. It, it detects earthquakes. It detects tremors in the earth. It's a very sensitive piece of equipment. 
Did you know that Comrie up in uh, Perthshire is the earthquake capital of Scotland? Did you know that? I think there's three fault lines all meet at the one place. And there's a wee station up there that measures earthquake activity. I think the Holy Spirit's like that. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. The Holy Spirit is sensitive to what's happening in our hearts. And sometimes, for some of us, the chart is off the scale. And the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, wait a minute, you need to get this sorted out. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we get involved in all the negative stuff, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The second thing, because I'm running out of time, is that we give the devil a foothold. We grieve the Spirit and we give the devil a foothold. And this is what stops us from progressing as individuals and coming to that place of maturity where God wants us to come to is because we give the devil a foothold. And I've said this from John 10 so many times from this platform that the enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy you and your faith and everything that's important to you. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life in all its fullness, abundant life. But when we get involved in all the negative stuff, allowing stuff to get into our spirits, into our hearts, then we, are, we give the devil a foothold. And we realize that this isn't the way that God planned us to be. Time's really running out. And I'm going to finish there. You know, there's a challenge in this for each of us. There's a challenge in this for the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's a challenge in this for anyone who is in any position of leadership in a church. There's a challenge for this, even if you don't have a position of leadership of any sort. It's not about position. It's about who you are as a Christian living your life before God. And God wants to speak into that, and He wants us to learn from this passage about what it means to be a faithful Christian. He wants us to learn what it means to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk, and the two things coming together. Let me just say that it's not just for leaders. This isn't just for leaders. When our private life, our private world doesn't match our public life and our public world, there are some things that need to get sorted out. There are things that we need to get before God and we need to repent of and we need to say, actually, this has been wrong and you've shown me what it is. There's so much more that I wanted to say today. Maybe I could do an Apostle Paul and keep going until midnight tonight. Would that be okay? No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding because you need your lunch. Let's just close our eyes and let's pray. Musicians, please come back up uh, as we prepare to worship God. Father, we recognize just such a, a power in what we've read this morning. These passages really speak to us. And Father, that there is so much more that you want to say through this. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say through this passage that we've read today. Father, may we go home and digest it, meditate on it. And Father, we pray that you'd open up our spiritual eyes and ears. Father, may we be like the seismograph, which is sensitive and able to pick up and detect what the Holy Spirit is trying to say into our lives. And Father, we just pray, help us to really grasp hold of the truth of what we've thought about today. And Father, we just pray that if there is 
anyone in here who doesn't know you today, Father, that they would really consider what it means to follow Jesus. The fact that He has died for us on that cross to forgive us from our sin, to make us clean, and to give us an eternal future in heaven that goes beyond even this life in the body, an eternal future, and good things for our lives that we should walk in those things, works that we should do, things that we should be blessed by and enjoy. Father, we pray that You bring revelation to every heart, every soul. And so, Father, we just pray that You take us on into this day. Father, that You take us on into this week. May we be salt and less with our private life and our public. Father, may we match up. And Father, we pray that You'd speak into that, that we'd be challenged by that, and that we'd get on our knees before You and repent of the areas where we fall short. Father, we ask that You would move upon this congregation, breathe upon us, that we may experience Your presence. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.